Hey everyone, this is Dave Cruz from Flyber Labs, a podcast on business and innovation in the Midwest and beyond. Here you'll meet fascinating people and learn about new technologies and practices that will change how you look at life and business. Enjoy. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Flyover Labs, and this is one of our first interviews for Flyover Labs focused on big ideas, and these ideas that can can and will impact your life or people around you, and hopefully they'll make you think about life and business in a new way. And so this podcast is focused on the homeless and low-income population and ideas and practices, how we can help them. I know this is a little different from our usual focus on business, but I want to bring more attention to important social issues. And to do that, today we get to talk with Carla Tennis. And Carla is pretty perfect for this podcast. Podcast. She's the executive director of Porchlight, located in Madison, Wisconsin, like myself. And Porchlight is the largest provider of uh, low-income housing in Dane County. And they also operate the only nighttime emergency shelter for homeless men in the Madison, Wisconsin area. And they do a number of other things, which we'll learn about. And... Uh, and they're doing some innovative things helping this population that I thought everyone should know more about. And so I'm quite excited to learn more about what exactly they're doing and to, to get to know Carla better. So, Carla, thanks for coming on the show today. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you, Dave. Definitely. And uh, so we were going to do this in person, but I'm kind of feeling under the weather. So I appreciate you doing this over the phone, even though we're only about 10 minutes apart. But uh, <laughs> oh, oh, absolutely. Um but I think I'll, I'll make it through. And, but so before we jump in and talk about Porchlight, like I'm, I'm curious kind of how you got to be, you know, executive director there and the at Porchlight, what's, what's kind of your background? Sure. Well, it is a, it is a long journey to the state. I've been with Porchlight for 27 years. Wow. <laughs> um, so I tell people it's the only grown up job that I've ever had. Um, I literally, my, I'm from Minnesota and my senior year in high school, I went on the Washington DC trip, like all the seniors, you know, have an opportunity to do. And I had an encounter with a homeless person that changed my life. And I decided to become a social worker and I came to Madison to go to grad school at the UW in social work. And I did my internship at Porchlight Men's Shelter, and when I graduated, I was supposed to go home and back to Minnesota, and they offered me a job here, and 27 years later, I'm still here, and uh, last January, I became the executive director after our longtime executive director, Steve Schooler, retired. So what's that uh, encounter you had with the homeless person that inspired you? Sure, yeah. So... um, it was we were in Washington DC and our chaperones had told us that we could, you know, spend our first afternoon by ourselves, you know, without having the chaperones there. So I went out with three girlfriends and they you know, of course they had told us, you know, don't talk to anybody, <laughs> don't engage with anybody, you know, we're seventeen year old girls in the big city. <laughs> and I will preface it by saying I'm from a town, a farming community of three hundred people. Oh, wow. So What's this was town? like it's from? called Heartland, okay. um, which nobody's ever nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> um, and so we were looking at some sunglasses on this kiosk, and this homeless man approached us and asked us um, for a dollar so that he could buy a hot dog. And so we just, I mean, I literally just can, you know, 35 years ago, I can still vividly see it in my head. And we just kind of turned a little bit, and so he asked again, and so we just kind of started walking away. And he 
follow, you know, not, we didn't feel uncomfortable or anything, but he was just kind of heading in our direction. But he kept saying, don't pretend like you don't see me, which of course is exactly what we were doing. Right. And he just said, you know, I just need a dollar. I haven't had anything to eat today. Um, and we kept walking, you know, and eventually he stopped and a man walked past. We, so then we stopped too, and a man walked past him. And I just, clearly remember, you know, of the four of us girls saying, oh, I bet he's going to, you know, buy cigarettes or, you know, like justifying why we couldn't give the man a dollar. Um, and so we watched and he walked up past this man and said the same thing. And the man gave him a dollar and he walked up to a hot dog vendor and he bought a hot dog. Mm-hmm. And it was literally just this profound moment from me, a young, impressionable girl um, that it was so easy to just walk by and pretend like I didn't see him, like exactly what he was saying I was doing was, of course, what I was doing. Um, and so then I went on to, to I went to school undergrad in Minnesota for social work and I came to Madison in 1990 in social work. And as part of the grad school social work department, you do an internship at, you know, a local agency. And so I, at the time, it wasn't course flight, it was transitional housing. And so I contacted them and they had an opening for an internship at their men's shelter, which is still our men's shelter, you know, since 1984. And I loved it. I was like the only woman in that place. And so my mother, yeah, you know, (laughs) my mother was still, I can still hear her voice saying, you know, that she was so worried about me and what I, 22, you know, and I said, mom, I am the most protected woman in this city. Really? <laughs> None of these Why is men. That? That's really right. interesting. They, yeah, I'd be right. They would, they would not let anything happen to me. Oh. Like I was the lady <laughs> at the shelter who was trying to help them and nobody, nobody should mess with me. Like if some new guy came from out of town and I felt concerned at all, literally there was like 20 homeless people who had, who had my back. <laughs> Um, and it was, it was great. I loved, I loved meeting people and, you know, I would check them all into the shelter and then go downstairs and we'd all have a meal and literally the shelters run the same way 30 plus years later. Do you, uh, so when you first started, do you, do you remember, I'm I'm curious why you loved it so much. You met some people. Was there anybody in particular who are like, that you remember meeting and who, uh, Oh, I remember so many people, so (laughs) many people. And it's, it's funny. There's a gentleman who just moved into our housing literally like three months ago. And I would have met him in the shelter when I was 22 in his, and he wouldn't mind me sharing the story. So his last name was Cheatham. And so he would come in every single night to me and say, you know, his first name, hi, I'm Bill Cheatham. If you can't, if you can't beat him, cheat him, or something like that. He had this cute little saying with his last name, if you can't beat him, cheat him, which, of course, I laughed and thought was hilarious. And so literally now, whatever, 27 years later, I'm here, the executive director, and I saw that he moved into one of our one-bedroom apartments. Uh-huh. And he was coming a couple months ago to pay his rent. And I thought, what are the chances? I mean, just because I remember him because of his silly last name and his little jingle why would he remember me and so i went out there into the lobby and i'm just like is there 
any chance you remember me at all? Of course, I had a different last name because I wasn't married. And so I, I said my name and he's just like, Carla from the shelter. Are you kidding me? And we <laughs> gave him a big hug. He totally remembered me. And it was just, it was nice, you know, to know that he was doing okay and that he was housed and, you know, he's still with us. And awesome. no, there were several, several men who just were kind of long timers there because interestingly enough, so right now the men can, can stay at the shelter for 90 nights in the year, but forever ago when I was there, it was unlimited. Oh, they wow. could stay as long as they wanted or needed to, um, which of course has changed quite a bit over the years. I remember saying to the men, you know, on average people kind of stay three, four months, but you, you stay as long as you need to, and I'll help you look for housing. Um, and I remember it's being super easy to get a job. Like literally I would say to people, you know, they didn't have any income. So I'd say, well, you go get a job and then come back on Monday. Cause you know, you need to have money in order to get housing. Um, and they'd come back and, you know, get some entry level job and be like, okay, you know, I'm working now. And we'd start applying for housing. Like it was just a different world really? back it's, then. And we, yeah. I want to get into that. So it, it, it's harder now to get, find jobs. It, it is harder. Yeah. You know, even, even though you see signs all around town, you know, help wanted this kind of thing. You know, we've worked with so many people who have just, you know, things in their background that, that aren't appetizing to an employer or, you know, we live in a big college town. They can they can hire a college mm-hmm. student um, for their entry-level job. You know, our folks have criminal histories. They don't have a good work history. Um, you know, they don't have references and that, and that kind of thing. You know, so people get work, and we certainly have men at the shelter who are working. Um, but it's certainly, you know, it certainly is a struggle. Okay. All right, and yeah, I, I could hear stories about people all day. So I, I let a little later we can get into maybe two or three more examples because it's it's nice to hear you know who these people are and yeah their struggles. But um, so before though, could you just give us a an overview on Porchlight? Mm-hmm. That'd be helpful. Sure. Yeah. So Porchlight started in 1984. We're the largest um, nonprofit provider of housing and services to homeless people here in Madison. Um, and we literally started as a result of two homeless people freezing to death, um, you know, on the streets of Madison back when nobody thought we had an issue with homelessness. Um, and so as faith communities do, um, many people from several different faith communities got together and they got a space on University Avenue, a church, and just said, you know, we're going to open the doors. If people are homeless, they can come in. And, and people did. And so for, for several months, it was just kind of this ad hoc group of volunteers. Um, I mean, I have literally, literally still have volunteers from our shelter right now who were in that first group of people and remember it very clearly. It's just cool to kind of hear their stories. Um, you know, maybe they eventually got mats on the floor and then they started saying to the volunteers, well, do you think you could bring some food? And that then, um, morphed into our very large shelter at Grace Episcopal Church, which is the only men's shelter in town. And we have 70 different groups with a thousand volunteers that serve supper and breakfast 365 days a year. It's just the most amazing thing. And so that has kind of evolved into that. But then as, as time went by, after we opened up the shelter, um, we started uh, purchasing housing 
So our first house was a five-bedroom house on Broom Street that we still have that we rent to five men. Um, and then as time has gone by, jumping to the present, we have 330 units of housing, wow. affordable housing, that we own, are the property manager for. We provide the support services and all the maintenance. Um, so it's quite, we have over 100 employees um, with Porchlight, so it's quite a large endeavor. Um you know, the affordable housing is probably the biggest piece that we do. Uh, we also have a street outreach team. We have an eviction prevention program, um, which goal is to keep people housed, particularly families. Um, and then we have uh, another shelter called Safe Haven, which is for adults who have mental health issues. And so a little bit, we run a little bit differently than um, our, our men's shelter at Grace Church. Wow. And then our our last program is our employment and training program, which is called Porchlight Products. With the so we have kind of yeah we have kind of these core core different programs that we we run. And some people are very familiar, um, you know, with the shelter at Grace Church and had no idea we do all that other stuff. Yeah, you guys stay busy. I mean, there's oh, I always have so many questions, but uh, you know, cause you guys <laughs> do so much. But uh, we'll keep it short. But uh, yeah. Um, uh, so I'm curious, uh, you know, how how are you guys uh, funded on typically? Because I know for for your one sh- shelter, like I think for the the safe haven, is that the one that's having trouble with funding? Um, yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That that program is entirely HUD funded. Okay. Of which that that was the funding that we we lost um, as of December 31st. Um, we do a nice job of we have quite a few different funding sources. Um, you know, Safe Haven was, you know, 22 years ago started as a shelter for folks with mental health, health issues and, and HUD paid for everything. So, you know, we, we mostly have programs that has multiple layers of funding. So it was almost unusual for us to have a program. And that's and that's what happens once then HUD pulled their funding 22 years later. You know, that's basically the end of that program as we know it, because there's not a lot of funding attached to it. But we get um, we get county funding. And oftentimes when we get the government funding like that, you know, like the, it's for specific things, like the county gives us funding for um, the men's shelter and some of our housing programs. We get funding from United Way. We get funding from the city of Madison. We um, get HUD funding for quite a bit of our other programs. Um, probably our large, which surprises people, our largest revenue source is rent that clients pay to live in our housing. So even though it's affordable housing, um, we generate, you know, money then that goes back to pay the staff and the case managers and the maintenance. And we pay for most of our housing, we pay the utilities. Um, and so obviously when you're talking 330 units of housing, that that's quite a bit. Um, and then we get contributions from, we also get funding from the state. Um, we get contributions from the community. So our budget is a $5 million budget it is a we are a, a very large organization you know and like safe haven it's it's staffed 24 7 you know that that's an expensive program um so you know i very frankly tell people I mean, we literally have a dollar amount of contributions that we need to reach each year um in order to our old executive director used to say in order to keep the lights on um so in 2017, we needed to raise $750,000 to go with all of the different grants and funding. Um, so I think, 
um, I think our business person said contributions are like 20% of what we need okay. to go along with, with everything else. Um, so, you know, we do a good job of, of, of getting funding. You know, if there's a, if an opportunity comes up, either we find out about it or somebody's telling us about it and we're, we're applying for funds to either start a new program or, or to supplement something. Gotcha. Okay. Interesting. And and can you give, you know, going back to kind of the, the people that you help serve and work with, you know, can you give mm-hmm. an example or two? I mean, I'm sure you can give many, but I'm trying to give it like a feel for like who you work with and like what, it, where they come sure. from, what are their problems? Like just so people kind of understand, you know. Sure. You know, it really is a mixture of people. Um, you know, I was talking to, I was giving a tour of one of our programs to a gentleman and he said, oh, I kind of thought you only worked with people who just needed a little bit of help, maybe needed, you know, more hours at work or a better paying job, and then off they went. And I said, yep, we, we work with those folks. Um, but then we also work with people who are um, who were chronically homeless, which is kind of a HUD definition, meaning they've been homeless for a long time um, and have severe disabilities, you know, schizophrenia or alcohol and drug issues, bipolar disorder. And, you know, who are going to be with us, you know, probably for the rest of their lives in our permanent supported housing. Um, You know, even the men's shelter is just a mix of people who have, you know, you know, probably 30 percent of the men at the shelter are working. They just can't afford to live in this town. Um, But then there's also a group of people who are this chronically homeless population who come back for their shelter nights year after year and still have not been able to get, you know, connected to housing and resources. Um, We work with families, you know, we're kind of known as working with single men, but we have have family housing, we have family programming. We work with with quite a bit of housing for single women also. Interesting. And, and, and do you have an example of uh, somebody who, you know, something happened in their life and then that, that's what made them uh, homeless or had like, you know, maybe it was a medical issue or, you know, something like a, a personal story that you could share about. Uh, you know, we have, I've really seen a rise in people who have, who have physical health issues, that they are homeless okay. and with us because of their physical health issues. Um, and it's definitely an older population. And I think it's probably, you know, they were living in, low, you know, low-income housing in town or just kind of making it. Um, and then as their health issues got worse and their, you know, medical bills racked up, that they just couldn't, couldn't maintain that. Um, I mean, we've got a couple people who come to the shelter who are in wheelchairs, who are amputees. I mean, it just breaks your heart. Um, we have quite a bit of programming and housing for, uh, homeless veterans. We have a, a program on Spring Street, a housing program for 24 male veterans. That's a transitional program, meaning they can stay there for up to two years. But it's a very successful program. And that's that's really all of those guys need. Um, you know, the kind of the issues that they're dealing with us or that cause them to be homeless, you know, PTSD and, you know, some depression and anxiety. You know, once they get some stable housing and they get back to work and we're, of course, super close to the VA hospital, so they really can get services on demand. Um, you know, they're able to, by the time they leave, get full-time jobs or get, you know, 100% service-connected disability and then move into permanent housing. And I don't ever, I don't ever see them again. They don't ever need us wow. again. Or they've moved into our permanent housing um, and just need super light case management. Um, 
where there's where there's just a, a segment of the population that has really severe disabilities, you know, somebody with schizophrenia, you know, they're going to be living with that mental health issue all of their life. Our goal is just to help them to manage it and stay on their meds and get connected to services. Um, my one story that I that I shared with people is this gentleman, Mark, who was a client of ours probably 25 years ago now. And I always, I talk about Mark because we get together for lunch once a month and I'm, you know, very familiar with his life and where it's been for the past 25 years. But Mark grew up in McFarland with his mom and his dad. And uh, his dad worked all of his life at the UW until he retired. Mark was the uh, football captain his senior year at McFarland. He's a big six foot four, you know, 250 pound guy. <laughs> and he was, he was captain of the football team. He got a scholarship to play at lacrosse. Um, he went to lacrosse and within six months of being there, he started having symptoms of a mental illness. Mm. Um, and he started drinking to alleviate those symptoms, which is very common. Um, he eventually lost his scholarship and dropped out of school and came back to Madison, um, where we met him in our homeless shelter. And, you know, so now he lives with um, a mental illness all of his life. He was able to move into our group home for two years and then moved into housing in the community. So he's lived kind of in a room literally for the past 20 years. His, his dad is 82, and they, they call each other every Sunday night at 6 o'clock on the button. Hmm. Um, he lives in Reedsburg and, you know, comes every few months and visits, or, Mike, or Mark jumps on a bus and goes to see him. Um, and he just got a little job at the Y as a custodian, kind of a supported supported thing through DVR, and, you know, this is his life. He's, he's constantly kind of he loves school. He's he's 56, and he, he says he will be a college student for the rest of his life. But because oh. he's on disability now, he can audit classes. And so he can take classes at the UW um, for free, and he loves it. And so, you know, he he's kind of mourned this life that he should have had. Um, but, you know, he's he's made the best of it. Um, but he, he didn't necessarily need constant case management but us. But he definitely needs, he needs me, literally, we have had lunch together once a month for 20 years. He needs that. It's a lot of comfort to his dad, um, knowing that we, we do that. And, uh, you know, Mark, I, I introduced Mark as my friend. You know, after 25 years, he's not my client anymore. Mark is, Mark is my friend. He knows my husband. He knows my three kids. Um, he calls me every week just to let me know how work's going and if he's having any trouble with you know, roommates that live in his house, and we work we work through it. Um, you know, and there are lots of of marks who had things happen in their life. You know, a lot of it is mental health issues that develop kind of around that college age, um, which is you know exactly what happened with him. And, and what would you? Yeah. So for like the audience, you know, when you say mental health like issues, like what would be an example of? How would somebody know so Mark, that he had mental health issues? Well, I mean, he literally, so he has schizoaffective disorder, which is kind of a combination of, of schizophrenia, which is, you know, literally hearing, you know, auditory, uh, you know, hallucinations where I mean, he would tell me a story about, he said, because I said, you know, now he's, you know, he's been on meds, he's sober forever, and he's been stable on his meds forever. So I can have these very intelligent conversations with just, you know, tell me what it's like, you know, and he just said, 
you would hear somebody talking like they are standing right there. And he says, the voices are always cruel and saying mean things. And so your self-esteem is very low. And, and he just said, it, it drives you crazy because you look and there's nobody there, but you could perfectly hear them. Um, which just hmm. is mind blowing to yes. me, you know? Um, and so, you know, through meds, I mean, he, he never misses a doctor's appointment. Um, and, but you know, a lot of our folks don't manage their mental health as well as he has learned to do that. And even he'll call me and some, sometimes say, you know, I'm not, I'm not feeling so good. And what happens is over the years, your body just kind of gets used to the meds and you either need an increase or a, a new med. And so he is able to manage that where many of our people, the, the symptoms of taking mental health meds are awful, you know, extreme weight mm-hmm. gain, um, you know, I'll have people saying, I'm feeling great. I don't need to be on the meds anymore. And so I literally say, okay, this is where you start journaling. This is where you write down, you know, I'm feeling really great. And what I want you to write is because I'm taking these meds every day, um, because when they go off, we just start all over. And it's a long road. Oftentimes in that going off the meds, they start drinking again and they lose their apartment because of those behaviors. And then you start all over with the, mm. with the process. Um, but I would have to say boy, at least 30% of the people we work with have pretty severe mental health issues, you know, major depression, um, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder. Those yeah. as examples. Yeah. Some people are just dealt a, a tough hand. That's for sure, man. That's mm-hmm. hard. Um, Okay, so now let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, what you guys are doing. Kind of, you know, you mentioned the Porsche Light products and kind mm-hmm. of like, you know, if if you had, yeah, we just kind of talk about your your visions for the future, like ideally what you'd want to do if you could. And but let's start with Porsche Light products since that's something you sure. guys are actively doing. <laughs> right, you know. Uh, so people said, you know, where's where's Porch Light going? You know, what are you going to do in the yeah. next five years? <laughs> you know, it's the, the, like we would never build another shelter. You know, uh, you know, I don't ever see the men's shelter going away because every year since forever we serve anywhere between 1,100 and 1,200 different men every year. It's just a needed program. It it its goal is that nobody freezes to death again on the streets of Madison. That's it. That's that's the purpose. They get some food, they can do some laundry and shower, but, you know, we're not there connecting people to resources and doing all this amazing stuff, you know, at midnight. People are sleeping. Um, it has one purpose, and that's what we do, and I don't ever see it going away. Um, and so where we're, we're putting our energy in is definitely the affordable housing. Um, we would love to expand our units, whether it's, um, you know, building additional units or acquiring you know, properties like a five-bedroom house or something like that and renting out the units. You know, Madison is in desperate need of truly affordable housing um, for singles and for families. Um, and then the other thing would be, as you were mentioning, the Porch Light Products Program, which is one of my favorite programs. Um, and what that is, we started about eight years ago, but it really has kind of come into a program that people are aware of these last couple years. Um so it is an employment and training program for folks who were homeless and have a severe disability. Um, so they get paid, you know, $8 an hour and they work anywhere between 10, 20 hours a week. 
um, everybody is housed now either in Fortslight housing or now moved out into the community. And everybody, like I said, everybody has a disability, primarily mental health disabilities, and some of them some physical health disabilities too. Um, but what we do, we have two kitchen managers. We train people how to can and preserve food. And so we make 12 different products. And on our, our website, our Porchlight website, there's actually, you can link to or click on our Porchlight products website and it tells all the different products we made from, you know, jams and sauerkraut and dilly beans. We make 12 different things, scones and pancake mix. And then we, and so this is what the participants are making. They have learned how to can. If anybody's ever helped their grandmother with canning, they know it is not an easy thing. Um, so we have a couple of people who are kind of the main canners. And then we make um, uh, these dry mixes, uh, scones and pancake mixes. And so um, we train people how to do that. We have, in 27, we hired 25 participants. Wow. And so because they're on disability, so, you know, you couldn't live in housing just working, you know, eight bucks an hour, 20 hours a week. And so folks are either on disability, so the employment is kind of supplementing their income, or we hire quite a few of our veterans. And so they get this employment income, plus they get a veteran's pension or something like that. Um, we have one gentleman, Patrick, who's a, from our veteran housing. He works full time, um, and he's the main canning person. Otherwise, most people are just you know, very part-time. But so the program, we buy our produce from local farmers. So it's helping out local agriculture. And then once we make the products, we do a couple different things with them. We sell them in local grocery stores. And so if you went to the, all of the Heidi's or the Metcalf, the Willie Street Co-ops, Festival Foods, we're in like 12 different um, grocery stores in town. And they're literally right on a shelf. You're looking for jam and some of the places where um, you know, right next to where the jam is, there, jam is. there are several of the grocery stores, um, Metcalf's Hilldale and Hy-Vee West. I really love how they do it. They literally have like a, like a shelf with a big sign that says porch by products. And then they have oh, all 12 of our products right there. And so you can walk into the store and say, Hey, where are your porch products? And they're literally directing you to the one spot. But we, our participants do sampling in the stores. So if you're at Ivy East, and you see somebody sampling, you know, a little jam on a cracker. That's a participant in the program. Um, so besides grocery stores, we also have restaurants um, who use the products on their menu. Um, two, two that have done it for quite a while, Daisy Cafe and Cupcakery on the east side. If you would ever have pancakes that, that's our Portside <laughs> Products um, multi-green pancake mix. Um, short stack on State Street. They've used our raspberry or rhubarb jam since the day they opened three years ago. Um, we are in several uh, kind of retail places like UW Hospital. We're in the cafeteria. Um, they sell. We sell something called Curtido, which is our most popular item. Um, it is a red cabbage relish. Um, so you would use it, you know, like you would a sauerkraut. Um, but on like fish and pork, I have people who use it on tacos. It has a little jalapeno in it. So it has a little kick. Um, but when we connected with UW hospital, they said they serve 5,000 people a day in their cafeteria and a thousand people use their, um, salad bar. And so we are thrilled, you know, that was like a huge coup for us, um, to get connected with them. And, 
the story I love to tell, I tell people it's our big epic moment. Um, three years ago, we one of the participants was sampling, and it was our strawberry jam at High V East. And the gentleman walked up and said, "Oh, you know, what's going on? What's this all about?" And so he told him, and he sampled it, and he said, "I love it." And so he just happened to be the food purchaser for Epic. No way! Literally, <laughs> no. It's like this made for you know TV movie yeah. kind of thing. And uh, so they literally bought out every jar of strawberry jam that we made that year. And once a week, we ha- we have a, a van that we get a grant for, and one of the participants is our, is our delivery driver. And so once a week, he goes out to the, the Epic Fortress, I call it, and delivers. They buy a couple different things now. Um, so, you know, the, the focus of the program is kind of three things. So, you know, we buy local, so it's helping out local agriculture. It's a, a high-quality product. I tell people, you know, You'll try our jam one time. You like porch light. You want to help out people. That's great. But if you didn't love it, you know, you're not going to buy it week after week as the jam for your family. Um, So, and then the third is it's literally life transforming for the participants. They have been told, you know, for years that they can't do anything. They didn't think they were capable of working. Literally the last two people we hired I said to them, you know, what so what'd you do before this? And their answer was panhandle on State Street. Wow. That was wow. their job. Um, you know, so we have huh. we have one lady who's been with us for five years. Um, the original goal of the program is that you know we were training people to do all this, to work in a restaurant type setting, you know, to you know, interact with people appropriately and all that kind of stuff, and then they'd go off into the community and get these jobs. And that, you know, minus a couple people that really didn't happen. And it's primarily because, the you know, the the folks that we work with and because they have these disabilities, um, you know, one day a gentleman might show up to come to work and he needs a shower and clean clothes on. And so the manager will say, you know, I'm sorry, Bill, but, you know, you're not ready to work today. So I need you to go home and shower and do some laundry and come back tomorrow. And he says, okay, and then comes back. That just doesn't work that way in a restaurant, you know. And so, and we also have a gentleman who has MS, and he. I was visiting with him one day, and he's just like, you know, I haven't been to work for two weeks, and I'm scared to talk to Melissa, the manager. And he just said, I got new meds, and I, I just don't feel well. And I said, Well, let me talk to her, and I did. And she said, Well, why doesn't he? You know, he literally lives in the apartments that we built when we built our new commercial kitchen. So he literally lived across the parking lot. And she said, when he's feeling well, tell him to walk over here. And if we just got in a bunch of produce and I've got work, we'll put him to work. And if I don't, I'll say, try again. Or this is the day the produce is coming. Um, and if he's not feeling well, I know I know not to expect him. And so that just doesn't work that way. You know, he'd have been fired after two yeah, days of missing uh, work yeah. in a real job. And so we know that that's our with that. That's our clientele. Um, but I tell people, you know, we are more regulated than a regular kitchen. We get multiple inspections a year um, because of the canning, because of that uh, whole process. You know, it, literally every batch, had, there has to be a temperature and a log and a double checking of this. Um, and these are all formerly homeless people with disabilities who are doing this. And managers, we have two managers who are overseeing, you know, the entire production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so it's exciting. You know, we last May we um moved into a brand new commercial kitchen on the east side of, of Madison. 
um, we had the last three years, we had a huge um, capital campaign. We raised over $4 million, um, 90% of which were from contributions from people in the community. And we built, literally I call it our Sire Road campus, we built 28 um, permanent affordable efficiencies. We built um, our new commercial kitchen for porcelain products, so we have a walk-in freezer and a walk-in refrigerator and a huge room for inventory. Um, we have literally doubled our staff, uh, our participants, since we moved to that location because we're not walking on top of each other and we can, you know, we can make more production and, and get out there and sell it, and then all that money just comes you know, back into the program to hire more people. Um, we also built... Um, our donation center over there, you know, a lot of people drop off, you know, winter gloves and personal hygiene items and those types of things. So we built a donation center. Our maintenance team is over there. So it's kind of this huge little campus that we have on the east side. And how do you, and that, that's an awesome program. How do you guys get the idea for personal products? Are there other like cities kind of doing, or, um, organizations doing something similar? Not, not with this. I don't think anybody would, would approach the, the whole canning process. And of course it didn't start with that. Um, it literally started, you know, at Brook Street, which is our administrative offices. Uh, we have a, a, a very, very small commercial kitchen here that was not being used. And so our former executive director, whose office would, would be here at Brook Street, he would just see, you know, residents sitting up in the lobby and not doing anything all day, um, you know, bored. And then this commercial kitchen, and he's just like, there has to be something. Yeah. We have to. Yeah. So the whole goal was to get homeless, formerly homeless people busy and active. And, you know, there's so much power in work um, and how that makes a person feel about themselves. So we, we, we tried, we didn't just all of a sudden start, you know, canning and all that kind of stuff. We started, they made lunches for the hundred residents who live in this building. They'd make a lunch. We charge a dollar to the residents. Um, we got vending machines and they stocked the vending machines. We sold, Scones and coffee out on the corner. I mean, literally, it was just all these little enterprises. Um, and then eventually, you know, we live in Wisconsin where six months of the year there's no produce, you know. And so eventually, we started with the canning process. And, you know, there's at some point where you can't get any more strawberries and rhubarb and all these things and apples. And so that's when we started doing the, the dry mixes, the scones and the pancake mix. Um, but with our new commercial kitchen, we literally were able to buy tons of strawberries and rhubarb and apples and just free stuff in our, so we can continue production, um, until we can get, you know, more produce in the spring. And so that has just been a huge blessing having that commercial gotcha. kitchen. Have, have other cities, organizations approached you like, how did you guys do that? Or, you know, I don't think so. Really? I don't. I don't recall people calling us. A lot of people call us about you know the affordable housing and and how to do the different programming with that, or how to get the grants and how to get started. Because you know, a lot of our housing programs have been you know happening since 1990. You know, we've just kind of done it all of these years, but it had to start at some point. Um, but no, I can't say that I've we we went around. I didn't personally, but our former executive director. Um, there was kind of a, a programming, I think it was Minneapolis, the Hennepin County in Minneapolis does a lot of really innovative things and best practices with, with homeless people. Um, like they started a cafe on their little, one of their um, housing projects and, you know, more those types of things. 
But locally, you know, most of the stuff we see for people with disabilities is there, you know, I, I almost half jokingly say they're, they're counting widgets and putting things in buckets. You know, the work that our clients do, I mean, they end up with an amazing product that they see in grocery stores that people tell them that they love to purchase and then they get to do the sampling and, you know, see people delighted in something. They're like, I made that, you know? Um, so we love that what they're doing is really meaningful work. And what else do you think? Uh, yeah, well, for, for sure. And, uh, what, you know, what else do you think this, you know, if you, if you had your choice, what else would you want like the city of Madison to do or to help or the, or the government or, you know, or is, yeah do you have other ideas so yeah you know so affordable housing you know i can't have an an employment program unless those people are housed um and so you know to me the number one thing is always affordable housing and we've really seen a nice um increase in that with both the city and the county probably these last five years um the city put quite a bit of money into a 60 um unit building on East Washington called Rescue Terrace. So 60 formerly homeless people live there. Um, the rent is all subsidized. There's on-site case management. That's through another organization. Um, and then they're in the process. It'll be another year, but there'll be another 60-unit building for singles. And then this year, a developer and the YWCA are partnering to do, I think it's 35 units for families. Hmm. So I definitely see both with the city and the county, um, you know, affordable housing, but, you know, and what I say, sometimes, you you know, the developers so that they can get these tax credits, you know, they say, oh, it's mixed use. It's going to be affordable housing. Well, it's affordable housing that, that my staff would be able to afford, not the clients that we serve. Um, and so, and obviously there's a need for, you know, affordable housing for kind of a, a working population but that's not helping my clients to make a very, very low wage or are on disability. Um, so there has been, you know, these last couple of years, some uh, housing coming up that's that's 30% of income and, and very affordable to our clientele. Gotcha. Okay. And and from the policy government perspective, I mean, do you think they understand like your needs well or, uh, um, or maybe it's just more, more affordable housing, but uh or do you think it would be your um, advice for them or how could they learn more <laughs> about uh, your needs? You know, so so uh, the, the groups that work with, with homeless folks, we have done a nice job. There's a group called the Homeless Services Consortium, and we meet once a month. And literally, I mean, I remember going 27 years ago, so it's probably been 30 plus years that it existed. We literally meet once a month, the first Tuesday of the month at United Way. And it's a mix of homeless providers, affordable housing providers, um, funders. So somebody from the city goes there, United Way, um, the county, and, you know, grassroots organizations, friends of State Street families, um, other people who are kind of doing these ad hoc things with, with homeless people. And it's kind of a mixture of, you know, kind of outreach workers go and we talk about, you know, what are the gaps in services? What are some grant opportunities coming up? We do a lot of collaboration with grant opportunities. Um, our HUD grant, our city grant, these are all things that, that they require us to apply together. And so, you know, each organization is not doing something in a vacuum. I think we do a nice job um, as a community of working together 
um, you know, to find out, you know, we don't want duplication of services. And so who's doing what and who's doing it best, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. And so we're almost done here. And, you know, one question I had was, uh, you know, how, if people wanted to help more, how could they help? And I think there's two kind of parts of this. One is like, if you see somebody's, you know, panhandling on State Street or out, like, you know, what would you do to help that person? And then also like, how could they, you know, help porch light? Sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, So people ask, always ask my opinion about panhandlers and, you know, people holding signs on the medians. Um, I don't ever give to panhandling. I don't ever recommend that people give to, to panhandling um, because it doesn't provide any solutions to anything. So college students really love to give to panhandlers, um, and that's fine. So then I say, so if you want to give your couple dollars, then you give your couple dollars um, with joy in your heart. You know, you're not your goal is not to judge somebody or ask them what they're going to do with it. You just give because you want to give, and if that makes you feel good, that is wonderful. You know, I am the first person, if I'm going out to eat and I've got half my food left over, absolutely would I give that to somebody. Half the time my husband takes it out of my hand and gives gives it to somebody anyway. Um, And so, you know, what I recommend, if somebody wants to give monetarily, you know, that there are organizations in town that are doing really good work. Of course, Porchlight, you know, Salvation Army, The Road Home, Tolerian, there are many organizations that, that are doing direct programming with people. Um, my answer to people who panhandle is the majority of them are not homeless. You know, were they probably homeless one time in their life? But I know half the people on State Street and I know they're housed. They use it to supplement their income. That's fine. College students give. That's that's fine. Um, I would rather put them to work in Porchlight products. Um, So people can buy Porchlight products. That literally every cent that we make through the sale of a jam goes right back into the programming for us to to hire more people. Um, You know, we we have lots of volunteer opportunities, whether it's at the men's shelter or in our different programs. Um, So people can contact us about that or look on our website. Gotcha. Excellent. Well, um, yeah, I think that just about does it with, we went over our uh, allotted time. So I appreciate it. What you're doing is pretty amazing for the people you work with and the city of Madison and just ideas you're coming up with is great. So thanks for sharing your story and porch light story and the people you serve. So this has been fun. Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate you reaching out to me and I've had a good time too. Definitely. And, uh, and thanks to everyone for listening to another episode of Flyover Labs. As always, I definitely appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Carla. You bet. Take Bye. care.